Welcome to today's show. I'm here visiting with Elliot Omenson today. Elliot, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. So, Elliot, you have a very unique and diverse background. For the listeners, can you uh, tell us your story of how you got to where you are today? Okay. All right. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think my entire life story is just based around the fact that I didn't uh, do well or fit in very well at school, and so it caused me a lot of problems. You know, um, I was just one of those uh, headache children uh, for the teachers. Um, you know, I'm sure that uh, today I'd be diagnosed with ADD or something of the of that nature. Um, and so, so I just knew from an early age, I was never like school just wasn't my thing. Um, and then after getting out of high school, uh, I did, um, manage to make it through a two year mission for my church. Um, but then after that, uh, without, I guess, without that structure, um, just struggled, struggled for probably the next, uh, 10 years. Now, somewhere around 25, I did get married. I had a kid. I'd have momentary blips of success. Um, in, in different areas, um, sometimes working for a company, sometimes on my own, trying to have my own business. Uh, but ultimately, everything just kind of kept ending in failure. And one of my dreams as a kid, there's only a few things I ever wanted to do. Um, be in the military, own a business, get married and have kids young, um, and go into politics. Now, I will tell you, I've struck that last one off my list. It'll never happen. Um, but uh, somewhere around, actually, when I met my wife, I was 25, I was actually in the process of trying to go into the military. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, um, but she didn't really, she really didn't want to be married to a guy in the service. So we, we didn't do that. Well, five years later after, now at this point I'm 30, uh, still all the same problems I had as a kid in school, I was still continuing to have, only now I'm married with a kid and one on the way. Um, I guess probably at that point, five years in, I had uh, broken my wife's will, so, so to speak. So pretty much at that point, anything I would do that would pay the bills and provide a consistent lifestyle, she was okay with. And so at the age of 30, uh, in the midst of the, I don't know how many people remember the um, surge in troops that was needed over in Iraq to deal with the resurgence of uh, the problems over there, um, I uh, was in a really rough spot. Um, I think we had... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know how personal I'm allowed to be here, but, uh, we'd probably been evicted twice, had my car repoed, had no vehicle, 30 years old, married with a, uh, one kid, one on the way. And a friend of mine in the apartment complex that we were living in, um, joined the, uh, border patrol and it just brought back these memories of me wanting to go into the service. And so I was driving on the road, uh, in a rental, uh, cause I didn't even own a car. And I, uh, looked over to my left and I saw an army recruitment or armed forces recruitment center in San Bernardino, California. I pulled in, I enlisted without even telling my wife, uh, went home and told her she was pretty unhappy. Um, but for the next six years, I found an incredible amount of success, uh, enlisted in the military. Uh, and so I think, you know, to be honest, I think probably going in at the age of 30, uh, probably helped with a lot of that. So this was the height of us combat casualties overseas. Um, my first unit that I got deployed with, um, uh, they had already been over in Baghdad. They had actually been, um, detailed with guarding Saddam during his trial. So we were stationed at FOB Union three in the green zone, um, which is home to a mausoleum where one of the founders of the bath party had been buried. Um, and so I get sent over there, teamed up with them. Um, the trial had been over and we just did patrols in an area of Baghdad called Qadassiyah. I think I spent nine months with them. 
came home and for the next six years proceeded to rack up almost three years of combat time. Um, and, uh, and I, it was like my first time of finding somewhere where I actually like, I succeeded. Right. Um, but it's kind of a physical line of work. Uh, by the time I was 36, I knew I couldn't keep doing that anymore. And I never intended to do it as a career. I just really felt like the experience would be beneficial to me and might um, help me learn some of the things that I needed to uh, outside of the military. So uh, after a little over five years, almost six years total time in, I exited the army. Um, and at that point in time, I had two brothers that had, while I was in the military, they had gotten careers started as financial advisors. And, but they did it from a captive standpoint uh, with a big bank there with Chase. And um, they're down in Florida, uh, Boca Raton and Boynton Beach. And so they, they really pushed me hard to follow in their footsteps. Well, having been a soldier for six years, spending the better part of that time in a desert running around with the M4 in your hands and combat boots, that was the last thing I could envision was sitting in a room talking to old people about money. So uh, it just didn't interest me. So I spent about, and, and to be honest, I, I think that I needed a little bit of time to transition mentally um, from the military to the civilian life. So after a couple years, um, and actually I had met a guy who had a small mom and pop and his daughter, um, retirement planning business. And so for a year and three months, I'd meet with him once a month and he kept trying to get me to come work for him. And finally, after we call it the world's longest interview process, after a year and three months, I went to work for him and I found something where I could where I seemed to fit into it just as well as I did the military. Um, and so that's, you know, pretty much what kind of started me off on what I'm doing today. So Elliot, when you started up your company, what was it like getting your first customer? Yeah, well, that's actually a, uh, you know, a very fortunate experience for me, right? If you think about how most people become financial advisors, right? I think they're sat down in a, at a desk in a cubicle. They're given a yellow legal pad. They're told to make a list of a hundred people they know, and then they got to hound their friends, family, and neighbors to get a client, right? So that was one of the things that I told um, the gentleman that hired me, I was not willing to do. Um, I actually have a rule. I won't do business with friends, family, and neighbors. Um, so that makes it hard to get started if that's the model that most people follow. So I told him if I was going to come work for him, I wanted a legitimate marketing system that I could plug myself into and make use of. And he had one, and a lot of people are probably familiar with it. Uh, we were doing um, dinner seminars about uh, how to uh connect social security and how to plan for social security and how to tie that into your overall retirement plan. So, um, three months on the job, I picked up my very first client and it was two attorneys, um, very, very successful. And, um, they were actually interviewing multiple other firms. And for some reason they chose a guy that had only been doing it for three months and had no other clients. So they're still to this day, some of my favorite people, um, uh, the wife actually took my oldest daughter when she was 16, I think, to Italy for 18 days with her. So it's been a pretty incredible relationship. And I'm very grateful they chose they chose to go with a guy that really, I don't know, a lot of people might have thought they were crazy to do. So, Elliot, when you transitioned from civilian to military life, how difficult was that? Oh, um, it, yes, um, it, it definitely is, right? And so I think this is... You know, I, I think there's a lot of 
there's a lot of things holding people back in making that transition. The, the most significant one, I think, is that when you're in the military, your identity is so tightly woven in to the military. And I don't even think most people realize how tightly in it's woven, right? I didn't, excuse me. I didn't. Um, I, and, and, and I prided myself on the fact, like I was in a line of work in the military where uh, I got to spend most of my time deployed uh, sterile. So I had, you know, I wasn't wearing name tapes, unit patches, rank. Um, I got to spend a lot of time in civilian dress. Um, there was people that I had talked to for eight or nine months. And when I slid my military ID across the table to let them know I was actually active in the military, they were stunned. They, they couldn't detect through language or behavior, um, or appearance that I was military. So when I got out, I thought, I thought I had done a good job of not being uh, institutionalized, if you want to call it that. Um, and so I didn't realize just how much of my identity was wrapped around uh, that environment. Um, so I think the biggest challenge is uh, being able to take something you're proud of, take something that, that was so integral to who you were, acknowledge that it was this uh, beneficial thing that it helped you, that, that you have all this pride in what you did, but still set it aside and, and acknowledge that that's in your past. And now who you are going to move forward has to be a new identity. You have to create a new person. And it's not taken away from that. You're not casting that off. It's just, it's just you need to become the next step, the next phase, right? And I think, I think a lot of people really struggle with that um, when they're transitioning from the military to something else. And I knew that, and, it, and I definitely did for a while as well. What was the hardest part about moving into the financial world? One of my favorite people to listen to, uh, Jordan Peterson, um, talks about how, and I just went and watched one of his lectures, and he talks about how, like, you just have to take a step forward. You just have to pick something and do it, right? So, no, it was, being a financial advisor was absolutely not a passion of mine. I knew nothing about it. Um, oddly enough, it wasn't, it was on another uh, podcast where, for the first time, I remembered uh, an experience from my childhood when I started babysitting other people's kids at 10. Obviously, that's a whole other era in America where somebody will let a 10-year-old babysit their kid. Right. Most people today at 10 are being babysat by somebody. Right. And I'd come home and my mom had a would would have us record in a three by five note card spiral bound book. The date we worked, who we worked for, how much they paid us. Uh, 10 percent went to tithing. Uh, 50 percent went to our savings account at the local bank and 40 percent went to spending. Then at the age of 15, I sat down at our kitchen table with our family financial advisor and I had saved up about five thousand dollars. And by the time I was 15 in my savings account and I invested that into the stock market. By the time I was 17, uh, in order for me to go with some of my friends to Europe for the summer, I sold off some of my shares of Dr. Pepper. Uh, the only reason I had purchased it is I love Dr. Pepper. Um, <laughs> that was the only reason. <laughs> and, uh, um, and financed a trip to Europe for the summer, right? And, and what was funny is as an adult getting in the financial industry, I never connected like those experiences as a youth with what could possibly have impacted my path as an adult. And so... Um, and then, and then once I became a financial advisor, even though it was just because somebody kept bugging me every month for a year and three months to do it, I don't think anybody could have, I don't think anybody would look at it and go, you know, what would make a really great financial advisor. You know what, you know what the baby boomers with, with assets really want to see in a financial advisor, a crude 
uh, foul-mouthed uh, ex-combat vet who swears a lot. That's what they're looking for, right? And lo and behold, I, I think like the way you learn to communicate in the military, minus obviously all the swearing, but just the, the very directness about it um, without really caring how it comes across, I think there is a, I think there is a element of society that really is attracted to that. And so it was not difficult. Um, I had an incredible first year and, and it only got better from there. And I'm very, you know, it's just one of those things where I feel very fortunate to have found two very different careers in my life where I was actually like, I felt like they were built for me. Yeah, I tell you, I, I, I always ask this question and uh, it's very insightful to companies. What, what keeps your clients up at night? You know, so, so this is one of the most interesting things, right? I think that the financial world is very ambiguous. One, it's huge. I was just talking to somebody about this today, right? If you look at, uh, there's like 53 codes in federal law. Title 26 is the one that pertains to taxes. That's, well, revenue is what it's referred to. That's taxes to us, revenue to the federal government. Um, and, and it's, you know, so I always, like so many people don't realize that a 401k is called a 401k because it's section 401 paragraph K of title 26. That's the first volume. Uh, if I want to find out uh, rules about life insurance, I have to go to the second volume, section 7,702. Okay. Who, who, I mean, this is, we're talking about a massive amount of information and data that most people don't understand any of, much less all of, right? And so I think the thing that, and I, and I think what that creates is it creates this sense that like, you never really know if somebody's being honest with you. And, and the financial industry, I always joke that we we fluctuate back and forth with the pharmaceutical industry as to who's most hated in America, okay? And and so I feel like a lot of people, the, the primary thing that keeps them up at night is just this lack of understanding. And it's so overwhelming. A lot of times they don't even, they don't even want to take the time to learn, right? And they have so much anxiety about it and stress. And, um, and I think that's one of the things, so this, I just had this conversation, this, um, I was on the phone with a social media influencer uh, on a Zoom call, and she talked about how she failed out of uh, accounting three times. And I told her, well, hey, you're in luck. You're in good company. Uh, I'm a three-day junior college dropout. And so <laughs> I actually explained something to her. And then one of the other people on the call who has three different sets of letters on the end of their name um, then translated what I said into college speak, right? So she got to hear... Somebody who would explain it uh, like a layperson would explain it. That's the way I explain things. And then she got to hear the way somebody with all sorts of financial degrees would explain it. Right. And it was just kind of, it was a funny, it made for a funny moment. And it, and, and I think that that's what most people are used to is that highly educated financial speak. And it just further causes this problem of, of anxiety and, and a lack of understanding. So I know I gave you a big, long answer there, but. I think, I think it's hard for people to trust the people they're working with when information is presented in that way to them. So your company's name is Alfie with... Alfie, yeah. So Al like the bird, Fi like financial. And it means nothing. Everybody always wants to know. They think because my last name is Omenson. The O stands for Omenson. They want to know who's the W. The Al, it, it, look, so the company that I went to work for was called Sage Financial. And the logo looked like they had stolen it from TripAdvisor. It was, I think that's TripAdvisor, the two allies, right? And uh, 
and there was 222 million search results if you typed in Sage Financial and none of them are us. And I even received an email from a law firm in Australia uh, asking me if I could send over the client's financial statements they were working on. And I'm like, yeah, I assure you, if you're in Australia, your client's not my client, right? Like I'm in Shawnee, Kansas. Okay. So I went to my, I went to my attorneys after I bought the company and I told them, I said, look, I want a name that when you hear it or see it, there is only one. I don't care what industry there's only one. And the guy looks at me and goes, well, then you got to do what the guy that started Xerox did. I was like, what's that? He goes, he just made a word up out of nowhere. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, make it five or six letters, one or two syllables, phonetically spelled and make sure the dot com is available. I'm like, do I look like a Scrabble champion to you? <laughs> okay. Like, how am I ever going to do this? Right. And so every, every time I met with a client for the next few months, I just presented this laundry list of requirements. And one of my clients, he literally must be the smartest guy in the world. He looks down at his feet for two seconds, looks up and he goes, well, how about Alfie? And I'm like, huh? And he goes, Al like the bird from our logo, the allies, file like financial. And I was like, I went to GoDaddy, typed it in. It was available for $11.99. I bought it. I made a logo, put it on the wall, went home. I told my wife, she goes, man, that sounds stupid. <laughs> and I just said that I go, well, how do you think the guy that started Xerox wife thought, felt, you know, like that had to be equally as stupid sounding, right? Now, since then, it's kind of funny. I think I almost regret it because uh, everybody hears it and they spell it A-L-P-H-A-I or something like that. So, or they, or they see the owl and they call it Alfie. So it would appear to be a disaster of a name, but I've already made everything about it. So we're sticking with it. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, eventually if we get big enough and people hear about it, they'll, they'll all know Alfie is Al and Philet Financial. Elliot, for people that would like to follow up and contact you directly, how would they do that? Uh, well, the easiest ways are just through uh, my personal email, Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at alfi, O-W-L-F-I.com. And then you can always call us to 913-441-8380. And uh, we're, we're pretty attentive. And so you get to talk to a live human and, and uh, we can uh, see what we can do to help you. So, Elliot, it's been a pleasure having you with us today here on American Dreams. Uh, we appreciate all that you've shared with us. And uh, for the listeners out there, we look forward to having you with us this next week. <laughs>